When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast. Paul, what a week we got. We got some good stuff this week. We do have some good stuff. Just sort of uh, quick updates here. I know we talked about Serena two episodes ago. She announced that she was sort of evolving in her career and taking a step back from competitive tennis at the U.S. Open. And another legend says they're retiring, Roger Federer. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Federer. I think it's really kind of unfortunate timing because in any other era, he would have been considered like the greatest of all time. Yeah. You know, 20 grand slams coming up, you know, when Sampras was the, the star and he was this young kid. And then he's, you know, he wins Wimbledon and then he starts winning and winning and winning. And then he gets to 20, but sort of while his career took off, so did Nadal and Djokovic. So he's really one of three. Yeah, they're all like neck and neck. I mean, I kind of think Djokovic is the best, but sure. I mean, you could make an argument. Nadal has the most Grand Slams. Djokovic yeah. maybe the most technically proficient. And if Djokovic, you know, I'm not not to get political, but if if they didn't ban him from a couple of Grand Slams for the not getting vaccinated, he might have the lead over Nadal. I mean, who knows? That's he could have won the U.S. Open. But sure, Federer, I think, is in that, you know... Well, injuries. Well, he's 41, right? So, like, yeah. most people weren't playing competitive tennis into their late 30s you right. know, in the past. So right. the fact that yeah. Federer and Serena... I mean, Djokovic is 35, Nadal's 36. So Federer's, like, five, six years older than them. Yeah. And, yeah, he's broken down. He's had a lot of knee surgeries the past three years. But in his prime, he was... Amazing, the three of them define the golden era of tennis, men's tennis at least. And Federer, though, I remember the one thing is he was just like so graceful and effortless. There is an elegance about him. Yes. 1,500 matches in 24 years. Like you said, 20 grand slams, 131 million in prize money, and a billion dollars in endorsements over the course of his career. So I think he's. I think he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he's doing fine. You know, like, no, this is not like, oh, you know, woe is Roger Federer because he also <laughs> had to play in the era of Nadal and Djokovic. It's just that that's how good he was. Like, if, yeah. you know, in any other era, he would have been, like, undisputed best men's tennis player. But, you know, you have Djokovic, you have Nadal, which is just kind of like, I guess, an, a historical anomaly. But sure, a billion in endorsements. Yeah, apparently the first tennis pro to make over a billion. If you're a tennis fan, get out to London this week for the Laver Cup. That will be his last competitive tournament. Nadal wrote a really nice tweet, too. It's like very classy. But I think also now like we've got all these young guns coming up. And I wouldn't mind seeing like a whole group of new kids. 
You got Alcaraz, you got Kyrgios. Like they're fun to watch. Kyrgios is really fun to watch. I, ho- I hope he so puts it all together to and starts like actually winning Grand Slams because he is really yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. And you'll see moments, but that's the thing. And Alcaraz for being 19. 19 years old, man. It's really impressive. Very impressive. But it's one thing to do it consistently for like a decade or two. And that's what we're celebrating with Federer. Yes. So congrats to Roger Federer. So Billboard announced their top 10 highest earning music industry executives. And it's a pretty nice list. I would want to be on one of these lists. It, it is. You know, my sister sent me tweets. Shout out to my sister, Kulsum, who's obsessed with all things BTS. And so there's three people that represent Hybe, which is the record label that's a public company that BTS and a few other on the roster. And it was interesting. I'll talk about the top three here. The 10 was basically a mix of Warner Music Group, Spotify, Hybe, and Universal Music Group, and then, of course, Live Nation. And then the Sirius XM. And the Sirius XM. But number one was the Universal Music Group chairman and CEO, Lucian... Lucian Grange, yeah. Lucian Grange, $320.9 million. Just to be clear, his standard package would have been $48 million, and then he got some one-time bonuses you know, from the parent company, Vivendi, which bought a controlling interest in UMG, and also leading some strategic investments. So his total comp for this past year was $320 million, which actually exceeds the entire rest of the top 10. <laughs> so he's like in a class by himself. Like combined, I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then number two is Kang Hyo-won, who is one of the producers for HYBE, the K-pop label, BTS, and a few other people on the roster. He made $35 million because he exercised 128000 of the stock options. You know, obviously, they were allowed to exercise these. There's a certain like lockup period. Sold it, $35 million. Hybe CEO was number three. So, like, the CEO of Hybe actually made a little bit, just slightly. It was, like, only like 800 grand less. Point, yeah, 800 right. grand less. And then, the, like we said, the rest of the group was basically Spotify and Warner Music Group. And then, of course, the CEO of Live Nation. So, yeah, those music execs are doing pretty well. They're having a good year. Done better than Lucian Grange, but... What do, you, what do you do at that point? I mean, like, are you like, do I even need to be CEO? Should I just retire at this point? I mean, I think he's a good CEO. I think Universal has had a really strong run, and I don't see any reason for him to stop. I mean, those sorts of awards, they're structured to incentivize future performance. They want him to be invested and to keep doing this. But I agree. Maybe his eyes now like, I'm going to make a billion. He's like, okay, my first goal was to make $100 million. I might as well just go for a billion now, so I'll stick around. Right. Well, you know, that's one of those things in economics we talk about, like how much do you value your leisure time? Like at a certain point, you know, he's yeah. not even that old. He's only 62. He could have like a fancy yacht, travel the world, have a lot of fun, like do whatever. I'm sure he knows a bunch of really popular art, musical artists that could perform for him or whatever. So he's probably got a great life, even if he decided to hang it up right now. But he probably loves what he does, too. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. good for him. For sure. Good for him. That's sick. I mean, yeah, that's a nice little bonus. But and then congrats, everybody, on the uh, on the hype thing. The hype thing is cool because it's it's an interesting experiment in general, like make up a, a label, a public company, and let everyone get compensated from it. So, you know, I just like that model. I think it's cool. Maybe we wouldn't have so many arguments around music and streaming and, and the amount of money that's being made if everyone was able to have equity in, in the labels that they're building. We'll see. You know, I mean, there's people who are always going to be wanting more of the pie than they have, right? Even if it that's is true. public. But that's true. Sure. Let's take a quick break and come back with some film and TV celebrations. It's Kaylee. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Paul. So Toronto International Film Festival, you were there. Tell us about it. Jess and I were there. We were there. It was so much fun. My first TIFF, Jess's first TIFF, Jess worked on a movie that premiered Susie Searches, which was the impetus for us going up there. But we had a great time. We saw three really good films, Susie Searches, Tora's Husband, which was an Indian film made by Rima Das during the pandemic. It took her two years. She wore every hat. She was the director, editor, camera person, producer, writer. She did all the casting. So she literally, like, and this was her third TIFF entry. And she's just like, awesome. We met her after the film. The, the thing about TIFF that I think is super cool is like the lead producers, directors, actors, they all show up and do a Q&A after their film premieres. So you can like interact with them and talk to them. Uh, you may be able to get pictures with them if you're sort of like, we were able to get pictures with the stars of Susie Searches and Tora's husband. And also, you know, you know, I talked to him, I pitched my Better Call Paul legal services. <laughs> and we also saw a documentary about Sidney Poitier that Oprah Oh, you made. saw that one? That's the Oprah one, right? Yeah, that's the Oprah one. It's going to be on Apple TV. And Oprah was there along with five of his daughters. He had six and Gail King, and they moderated a panel afterwards. I mean, people were literally crying in this was it, movie. Was it good, I'm assuming? It was so good. I mean, listen, this guy, is, they don't make him like they used to. He's hes just, you know, I get choked up. He's an amazing actor. So not only did he have to sort of like make it as an immigrant, didn't learn even know how to read really when he got to New York City, deal with like, all the racial tensions arriving in the Jim Crow era, making it as an actor, taking acting classes at night, doing odd jobs, being a dishwasher, like whatever it is, and actually becoming a, the leading Hollywood star, right, for his era. And then get moving into directing. Yeah, he was killing it. Yeah, he killed it. And he was his own person. I know there's some criticism about how he sort of was maybe like not controversial enough or played it safe, but he stood for something. And he turned down roles. That was another thing that I saw in the documentary. Like he turned down roles that he didn't think were appropriate for him or that he felt like portrayed characters that his parents wouldn't be proud of. So he turned down roles and um, it wasn't like he took everything he could get. And he was also like sort of rivals, friends with Harry Belafonte. And they both came up at the same time. And it was just really cool to see. Film festivals must be so much fun. I mean, the, the other ones that premiered as well was Netflix's Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, which is, uh, I think, coming out soon, right? It's coming out in the next month or so. Yeah, so that was the sequel to Knives Out. Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans came out. Harry Styles and My Policeman. And people were like, that's the thing. So people were like packed, jamming the streets, trying to get pictures of like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift and Jordan Peele and Oprah. Right. And I got to say like, I mean, we had a, a lot of fun, but we were very unprepared for how to deal with TIFF because it's like you have to have everything planned out. If you go there thinking you're going to just wing it and end up 
seeing a bunch of cool movies, like you'd, you'd be mistaken because everything is sold out. Is that what you thought was happening? Well, I was just so busy with work. Like I really didn't even think about it other than booking our flights and our hotel. I was like, you know, Jess will figure this out. And Jess did buy tickets to some films, but a lot of it we're like on, you know, Ticketmaster. We're walking around, we're going to the box office trying to see if there's openings. Sometimes there's last minute people that can't make it. So they let people in off the wait list. But we were just like there to have fun, explore Toronto, eat some cool food. Yeah. And we got to see three really great movies. But I mean, absolutely. This was their first fully in person. Like we're back sort of returning from the pandemic festival. Last year was a hybrid. And I think that's why there was a lot of demand too. Plus the weather in Toronto at this time of year is really beautiful. And I want to do a quick shout out though to a friend of mine, Nikhil Sitharam, who was in Toronto. He's a music producer and he produces film and TV. He's also made a lot of music back in the day. And we had dinner in the first night of TIFF and it was really cool. And he mentioned that they don't have Hulu, which I thought was really strange. In Canada. In Canada, they don't have Hulu. They also don't have HBO Max. They have Crave. Really? Yeah. But he makes music for Hulu shows and like Disney Plus shows, but he can't get them where he lives. I mean, he's in LA all the time and everything else, but I just thought it's like one of those things. That's crazy. Yeah. So like if you want to watch House of Dragons, you can't watch it in Canada? No, you can get it through Crave. So Crave is like the Canadian app that has Canada rights for HBO Max content. Got it. It's not 100% of the content, but it's most of it. But yes, they would get Game of Thrones and House of Dragon or whatever, but I don't know that they, there's any way to get Hulu. Well, it's interesting because we'll talk about that in the next segment, but um, you saw three movies at Toronto Film Festival. That's pretty good. Three sounds like a legit number. Right, and even so, like even if you're not in movies, there's a bunch of activities. Like They have this open-air sort of concert area where they have like musical acts playing all the time in the middle of the street, and there's like chairs and seating. There's a lot of good like food and activities. It's a cool place to hang out. I think 10 days would probably be a little much, but I think three, four is perfect. I'm excited to check out Glass Onion, and I want to see The Fablemans. I think Paul Dano's in that one. Yes, and we also wanted to see Woman King, Viola Davis, but we couldn't. It was like sold out for days. Well, that's in theaters right now. Yeah, that's the other thing is like some movies go there, like Susie Searches doesn't have a distribution deal. Right. So like in that case, the filmmakers are going to sell the movie. Others, it's kind of like a showcase event. Like if Apple, Netflix, whatever, if they already bought the rights to the movie or if a movie's got a theatrical deal, it was less emphasized for us because we were like, okay, well, we're not going to pay a fortune to see it at TIFF because we'll, it'll be in theaters in a month. Glad you had a good time. We also had the Emmys that happened last week. Yeah, I watched it. It was actually pretty decent. I was pretty surprised. It was funny. It was pretty low-key. It seemed pretty casual. Keenan Thompson did a decent job as a host. Bowen Yang, one of his SNL cast members came on. I thought he actually stole the show. He had a little bit. But biggest winners, of course, Succession, Ted Lasso. White Lotus. White Lotus, which is funny. I don't know how I feel about White Lotus. Like, I've watched it, and I'm still kind of like, what did I just watch? Jennifer Coolidge won for Best Actress, and she had a really funny speech when the music went on. She started dancing. I think everyone celebrated that. Julie Garner won for Ozarks, which is great. I love her. I think she's great. Zendaya wins for Euphoria. That's her second win, right? It's her second one. I think the best shows won. And Abbott Elementary, they had two winners. That's my girl, Kinta. Kinta Brunson from Philly. Uh, she's a couple of years younger than me, but we love that show. Jess and I think it's so funny. I've never seen it. It's kind of like The Office. It's like that style. Ah, uh, okay, okay. But in an elementary school. In an elementary school in Philly. So like I can 
understand the slang, like words like John and bull and stuff like, which, <laughs> you know, we would use sort of like playfully growing up because, you know, I wasn't actually in Philly. I was in the suburbs, but the cast is all really funny. And in addition to Kinta, who, and I think Jimmy Kimmel did kind of screw the pooch there when he refused to get up off the yeah, ground. Yeah, yeah. Cheryl Lee Ralph also won. And I don't know if you saw her acceptance speech, but she was like full on. Like, was that the singing one? The yes. singing speech? Yeah. It was amazing. She, was amazing. Her character on the show, Barbara, is really, really funny. Super funny. That was the speech of the night. The singing kind of, like, I was, wasn't expecting it, and she just killed it. Great message after that. Yeah, I heard about the Jimmy Kimmel kind of stealing the limelight for the, for the second speech. You know, you try to do a bit. doesn't really work out. And she was on his show, like, two days later, and I guess he was able to sort of apologize. Well, she mentioned something backstage. She was kind of like, I don't really know what happened. Like, I thought Jimmy and I were cool. Um, I, she she was classy about it. But I didn't actually see what happened. I, I missed what happened. He just laid down. Like, he basically, like, feigned, like, collapsing or fainting. And he didn't get up even when she won. And when she gave her speech, he like laid oh. down the whole time. Okay. So not quite like the Oscar slap, but still a little bit disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> when everyone's on edge, everyone's on edge, hoping nothing happens. But it was just nice to see everyone back in. Focused on the winners. Yeah. And like not making it a thing around COVID. It was like, let's have a good time. Let's focus on the winners. Let's give some good speeches. Let's have some fun. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. I love Succession and you can't argue with Succession winning best drama. No, it's the but, best show. But, but, but I'm going to argue with it because I think Better Call Saul uh, yeah. deserved it. Well, he deserved it. I mean, you know, it, Bob, it, I, I wish, yeah, I wish because what's the, um, what's his co-star name? Rhea she Seahorn. was nominated as well. I felt like they should have won something because it was their last season, right? I don't believe that you should win like a career achievement or show achievement. I don't think you should get it like unless you deserve it. But I think Bob deserved it. And I, I don't know if it. she did, but I think she deserved to be nominated. I just I feel like that was a little bit of a snub. Dude, it's hard. I mean, Succession it is, is probably the best show, one of the best shows ever made. Succession is great. It's great. And I can't wait for it to come back. It's like, it's not one of those things where like, oh my God, Succession won. I can't believe they won. You're like, yeah, okay, I can see why they won. And Squid Game too. So Lee Jung Jae was the first non-English speaking actor. He won Best Lead Actor. Hard to argue with that. It was a really pivotal, dynamic show, international success. But that range is excellent in, in Better Call Saul. Yeah. Jimmy McGill. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I haven't seen the last season, but you've told me about this, and I keep hearing about that it's one of the best last seasons of any show ever. Yeah. And some people some people are saying the last season of Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. Possible. It's But it's very close. <laughs> I mean, they're like two of the best shows ever. Uh, well, awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to check it out. And I haven't seen White Lotus, so I got to check out what all the fuss is about. I've heard people are mixed about it, but it won a bunch. It won 10. It's one of those things. You you watch it, and you have to finish it. I watched it in one sitting because it's a limited series, and I just needed to know what the hell was going on. And then I finished it, and I don't think about it. That's how I feel about the show. But it's a limited series, but they're doing another season. So it's like, is it technically a limited series? I don't know. But it was nominated as a limited it series. It was. It was. But they're doing another season. Is that one way to be like, okay, we can't win against Ted Lasso or Succession, so let's do this as a limited series? I mean, and maybe. surprise everyone with a new season. Maybe. Uh, I mean, <laughs> when I think of limited series, you think of like, five, six episodes, like, and it's like yeah. a standalone work, not a, you know, like a, yeah. a multiple season arc. So we'll see. But I mean, you can't stop them from making a second season, I guess. They got the award. <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll get back with our main topic. Comcast Hulu. Is Hulu worth buying? We'll find out. Paul, so in a recent interview, CEO Brian Roberts, who's the CEO of Comcast, said he would be interested in buying Hulu from Disney if it was up for sale, saying that it's a really, really amazing business. Disney owns 66% of Hulu. Comcast owns the other 33%. Seems like Hulu's just having a hell of a run right now. He made his comments at Communicopia and Technology, the Goldman Sachs sort of like tech media conference in SF. And I mean, that's where the who's who sort of go and talk about the industry. Let me just break it down sort of what else would he say, right? So Hulu's great, and I'm not, this isn't critical of Hulu, and we'll get into why it's so great uh, in a minute, but like, just so you know, to set the table, in 2019, Disney and Comcast reached a deal because after Disney bought Fox, Disney had two thirds of Hulu, Comcast had the other third, and they were like, hey, you know, it really doesn't make sense for us competitors to co-own something, right? Because like right. we are competing. So like Coke and Pepsi wouldn't have a joint product right. typically. So what they decided was, okay, so Disney had two thirds and Comcast had a third and Comcast said, okay, well, we'll give you control. You make the day-to-day decisions on how to run Hulu. We'll keep our equity stake, but we'll be silent, yeah. right? Like non- controlling. We won't get into the management. We'll keep our content on your platform through 2024. We'll pull back some shows. So some that are exclusive will become non-exclusive. We can end some deals. And in 2024, either you buy us out or we can force you to buy us or you can force us to sell. And we'll just do a fair market value of our 33%, but there's a floor. So they agreed to a floor of like 5.8 billion for their stake. So when you have Brian Roberts conference comments this past week, it makes sense that he's locked into this deal, right? He's locked in. Disney can get his remaining equity, right? Comcast's equity, or Comcast can force Disney to buy. I guess neither could exercise their options and they could just keep going in this status quo. But he basically wants that valuation to be as high as possible. So he's going to say, well, I think Hulu should be worth $100 uh... billion because that means his share his 33% is worth more than otherwise. And it's going to be valued by some independent, right. you know, like analysis. They're going to have their bankers. Disney's going to have their bankers. They'll probably come up with an average valuation looking at the industry. But to talk about Hulu's like meteoric rise. So it founded in 2007 as sort of like yeah. uh, NBC and Fox get into like, let's dip our toes in the streaming water. Let's license our library content to this platform and see how it does as FOD. And so- 2007, Providence Equity Partners bought a 10% stake for $100 million. So that was a $1 billion valuation. Billion valuation. Then Disney gets in a little bit after that. They buy a third. Then AT&T bought Providence's 10% for $1.5 billion. So then it was a $15 billion valuation in 2018. Then when Disney did their deal with Fox... The valuation and subsequent deal with Comcast, the valuation is now like $26 billion. So who knows? It went from being worth $1 billion in 2007 to 
$26 billion now, which is pretty good. But it's interesting because I remember in the early days of Hulu, everyone was like, this is just not going to work. It seemed like a mess, but streaming hadn't really taken off yet. I mean, that's what I just remember from like the commentary. But obviously now Hulu's just, like you said, valued at $26 billion. Disney probably wants to own 100% of it. It's got 46.2 million subscribers, 4 million live TV customers. And when you think about it, comparison to Peacock, which Comcast owns, you know, that's 13 million subscribers. So like significantly bigger. If you talk to streaming industry execs, Peacock is not yet considered a fulsome streaming offering. It's not really yeah. on the yeah. level. I mean, listen, Comcast is investing and there's no stopping them. I mean, they could absolutely develop Peacock into this great thing. They have a lot of sports content. They're putting the Tour de France, and they're putting like the Super Bowl on there. So Peacock could grow, but it's not in the conversation with like Netflix and Disney Plus and right, HBO Max right. as being an elite or top tier streaming service. Right. So that's why if you're, you know, like an industry outsider trying to explain someone that's not explain to someone who's not super familiar with streaming, it would probably make more sense for Hulu to be in Comcast portfolio than Disney's because Disney has Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, which are already very successful streaming services. And Peacock is just objectively not on that level yet. So maybe yep. Hulu would be worth more to Comcast than it would be to Disney. But that's not how it's going to go, right? So right, right. Comcast, they're hitching their star to Peacock and that's what they're going to have to like, they're going to market. They're going to try to make Peacock as good as it can be and get as many subs as they can. And eventually they'll just get paid for their ownership in Hulu and they want that to be as high as possible. Yeah, it was interesting. I was I was just going through the roster on Hulu just to like get a feel I'm like we keep hearing it. I've been watching Hulu a lot more and like just like the shows they have on the platform, big ones, Fargo, Seinfeld, Atlanta, Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, Frasier, Lost, and then the originals, Handsmaid's Tale, Only Murders in the Building, Dope Sick, Pam and Tommy. The Kardashians and Dropout. And I, when I was actually thinking about the Emmys, I'm like, oh, sh you know, like Only Murders, Pam and Tommy, The Dropout, Dope Sick were all nominated. They're all um, nominated, right. And a few of them won. I mean, Amanda Seyfried won for The Dropout. Michael Keaton won for Dope Sick. Sebastian Stam was nominated for Pam and Tommy. And obviously, like Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez are killing it with Only Murders. It's like a fan favorite. So... Hulu in my book right now is like, last year I didn't even think about Hulu. Now I'm like, oh, what else is coming out on Hulu? Right. Well, yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, they're being controlled by Disney is great because right. Disney has Fox, Disney has ABC. So Disney can put a lot of content on the platform. That's right. not necessarily original content for Hulu. Right. But they have, like you said, a dozen, half dozen really good original shows, and then they can fill in. They have content from Fox. They have content from ABC. They have other content from NBC for the next couple of years. So it'll have really great content that's sort of library, and then they'll have their original content. And that, as you said, they have Hulu Live, which is a VMVPD, which is growing, right? It's 4 million subs, which is a lot. Not necessarily as big as YouTube TV, but bigger than any other linear streaming product. And Hulu Live is like just, it's like watching cable. Right. So it's like watching packages of linear channels. So, you know, your ESPN, your broadcast stations, Got it. not necessarily RSNs because they're, they're not in OTT streaming bundles as much. I mean, they're on DirecTV stream, but not YouTube TV or Hulu Live. But yes, it's basically like 
a competitor to your cable package. It's delivered via the internet, but they tend to be a little bit cheaper than cable. All right. I might actually check that out, to be honest. I, I didn't even realize, because I've been playing around with like this live TV stuff, and I don't have cable anymore, and I'm like, eh, I wouldn't mind. Like, It's easy. It's just on the app now. It's on the app. It's totally like the same sort of UI. It's a pretty seamless thing. Hulu Live and YouTube TV are the sort of market leaders in that space. But yeah, check it out. Yeah, I might cancel, finally cancel my Spectrum cable that's just sitting there. And I'm, I thought you said you didn't have cable. Well, I have it, but it's not connected to my TV. This is just really weird. Like the, the connection is like in the closet. And I just was, since I moved in a year ago, I've just been too lazy to connect it. But I use my Spectrum login to log into the apps and watch it that way. But I think I'm just going to get rid of the cable, return it, and then just sign up for Hulu TV. I think it'll just be much easier. Because I swear to God, if I have to do another something something.com activate and then put the code in again, which I have to do like every day, no matter what app I do, I'm going to lose it. I'd rather just open up Hulu and, you know, watch. Well, you're still going to need your Spectrum internet or some internet. But yes. yeah, 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 that's fine. I'll have the internet, right. but I, I just don't want to do the whole nothing drives me more. Like I open up CNBC and it's like activate. I'm like, I just activated. I just did it like three days ago and it makes right. me do it again and again and again. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> so well, better call TV, Paul, I'm signing up. you don't have to log in to listen to us. <laughs> well, maybe you do. That's right. But you don't have to log into our show. <laughs> well, Paul, as always, thanks for breaking things down. That's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Follow us on Instagram, Better Call Paul the Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mesh Lacani. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera and Marco Seiler Gonzalez. Hope everyone has a good week. Thanks, everyone. Take care. <laughs>